Welcome to the 1992 NBA Draft. This week on the Sport Blokes. This week we redraft the 1992 NBA Draft with the benefit of hindsight. Will it be Shaq or will it be Laterial Green? Matfish. Lots of really tough guys to place in this draft. Should be very interesting. I'm disappointed we didn't make more Laterial Green jokes. Let's go. It's 3.48 on Saturday, the 26th of November, 2022. Look, timestamps, not too relevant here. The only reason we mention it is because something might happen between now and when we release this. Just in case the 92 draft gets redrafted. Well, no, not that. But in case, who knows, one of the people from the 1992 draft might do something or something terrible might happen to them, heaven forbid, or who knows. I'm looking at you, Shaq. (laughs) Yeah, well, he'll, he'll probably say something stupid. So, yeah. So here we are. Redrafting the 1992 NBA draft. Now, we've had a lot of fun with the 1990 and 1991 redrafts with hindsight in episodes 110 and 117, respectively. Go back and check them. But there was a bit of a dearth of talent at times, wasn't there, Stewie? 1992, on the other hand, has plenty of big names and some really important names in NBA history. Yeah, this is one I've been really looking forward to. A couple of very big names at the top, a couple of interesting stories, a lot of lot of stuff going on there. And we've had a false start, so we're recording a little bit later than we initially planned with this one. So, so this one's been sitting on the back burner for a little while. It has been, yeah. But lots of interesting questions here. Do we consider character issues? Should a bloke be penalised for being the textbook definition of a journeyman? At what point does longevity and games played trump stats, if it does at all? These are all things we might tackle a little bit today. Now, this was the first time the NBA draft was held outside of New York. It was actually held in Portland the year after they'd gone to the NBA finals. So that's interesting. They didn't have a high pick as a result of that, obviously. Um, It's the only draft where the first three picks were centers. Ah, didn't think about that. So we've talked about in the first two that we did with 1990 and 1991, we've looked at kind of the lay of the land. So there are a few less internationals in this draft. Lots of U.S., Ron Ellis from Belgium. Not convinced he was born there, though. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure about that. <laughs> Naturalised, but... Dexter Cambridge from the Bahamas. Shout out to DeAndre Ayton, another Bahaman. Is that how you say it? Bahamian? Sure. Bahaman. Bahamian Rhapsody. <laughs> I think that's how it's pronounced. Galileo. Yeah. Uh, and then there was also Pedrag Danilovic from then Yugoslavia as well. So Yeah, Sasha. Good uh, good player. Yeah, yeah. So he, there we go. He once went nine of nine from three in a game. He was handy. He did have some good games. So we'll get there in a sec. The other thing, of course, that's important to mention now, obviously we're Aussies. We like to bring up the NBL connections if there are any. Jojo English is the one this time. Now he went undrafted, but he did have a little bit of a career in the NBA. As you say, though, he played for the Adelaide 36ers. So that was in 1995, helped the team to a sixth place finish, 17 and nine record. 21 games, he had nearly 15 points, three and a half rebounds, nearly three assists. So one and a half steals, decent career here in Adelaide. I'll be honest, I don't remember him a hell of a lot. Obviously, 95 was a big year for we Perth fans. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you have strong memories of him playing in our league. I have moderate memories of him. I, to be honest, though, I remember him more for that massive brawl he had with Derek Harper in the 94 conference semifinals. Ah, yep, yep. The Chicago, New York one. With, Very good, yeah, okay. With, with then-commissioner David Stern in the building. Watching, yes, yeah. What a yep. particularly great time and, yeah. Led to some suspensions. And what some a fights. series that was, though. They, they had some good battles in the mid 90s. Pretty, there, pretty handy. Unfortunately, that was the year that Jordan was retired. Yes, so yes. The Knicks did get the cookies on that one, but look, it is what it is. And went to the NBA finals and lost in seven to the Houston Rockets. They did. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about the 1992 NBA draft. So we're going to re pick the players, Shui, as we always do with these ones. 
Give us the rules. Well, there's only two rules. We try and keep it as simple as we can because we are but simple men. First rule, we don't look at the needs of the team drafting at that point in time. For example, Orlando have the number one pick in the 1992 draft. Their need at the time might have been center, which is why they drafted Shaquille O'Neal. In reality, the Magic's roster from the previous season had three players listed at center, but those three guys were Mark Akers, Greg Kite, and Stanley Roberts. So, yeah, definitely the right move for them going after Shaq. Funnily enough, a former teammate of Stanley Roberts. Yes, and Stanley Roberts was due for a big contract at that point. So something that I've forgotten or didn't realise, I've done my research. Unfortunately, the whole thing isn't on YouTube, so we won't have the David Stern picks again. I think we might do for 1993 when we get to that one. Nathan is relieved because it probably took him about six hours. Oh, it's a lot of editing with that. But something that's interesting. So Orlando were actually over the cap when they selected Shaq. And so there was this worry of how do we fit him into the team? And there was this weird wrinkle in the CBA that I wasn't aware of at the time. And I'm not actually sure if it still exists, but you could go over the cap to re-sign and sign free agents, but you couldn't go over the cap to sign draftees. Mm -hmm. So Orlando had to do a bit of wheeling and dealing in order to get Shaq on their opening day roster. Interesting. So there's a wrinkle from that draft too I wasn't aware of. Yeah, yeah. So just to recap, we are purely drafting the people that we feel are the best available player on the board at that time. Second rule, we only draft to pick 13. The simple reason for this is that by the time you reach the end of the second round, there's usually a bunch of players who've never played a single game or played a very short career. Plus, we're pretty good at talking as it is. And if we go too far, this will be a four-hour episode. It would be. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there were six players in this draft who never suited up for a single game. We also had players like Brian Davis, who was taken with pick 48, who played a total of 68 games in his rookie season and then never played in the league again. You also had Elmer Bennett taken at pick 38, who played 160 minutes across three seasons in total, and that was it. By the end of the first round of redrafts, we'd be looking at guys like Brent Price or Lee Mabry, so it's just not feasible to draft that far down. Or Eric Spolstra. Well, He's on the list of notable undrafteds, but... I don't think he played a game. Yeah. I don't think he did. Obviously, he's coached a shit ton of them. Yes, and will be a Hall of Fame coacher when all said and done. I don't think there's any denial there, but yeah. Not so much in the player. We'll obviously only take into account players drafted in the first couple of rounds or notable undrafted players, if there are any. And there are. At least one. I was trying to leave some of them (laughs) to speak, but yes, there is definitely. Now, Nath, the lottery balls have been pulled and you've jagged the number one pick, you lucky bastard. (laughs) Who have you got? Whoops. We actually forgot to give you the full list of the lottery as it stood in 1992. So I'll run through it quickly now. Number one, Orlando Shaquille O'Neal. Number two, Charlotte Alonzo Mourning. Number three, Minnesota Timberwolves, Christian Leitner. Number four, Dallas Mavericks, Jimmy Jackson. Number five, Denver Nuggets, LaFonso Ellis. Number six, Washington Bullets, Googs, Tom Gugliotta. Number seven, the Sacramento Kings, Walt Williams. Number eight, the Milwaukee Bucks, Todd Day. Number nine, the Philadelphia 76ers, Clarence Weatherspoon. Number 10, the Atlanta Hawks took Adam Keefe. Number 11, the Houston Rockets, of course, took Robert Ory, Big Shot Bobby. Number 12, Miami Heat, Harold Miner, Baby Jordan, not so much. And then number 13, the Denver Nuggets from New Jersey took Brian Stith. Now, we also forgot to run through our picks when we did our lottery with All Said and Done. So I'll pop back in just before our honourable mentions. Well, Stewie, I can't go past a big man that captured the hearts and minds of many all around the world and continues to do so to this day. Matt Fish. Matt Fish. Ooh, that's, that's a verbal commitment. No, 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 no. I got Shaq with number two. No, no, no. no. I'm taking Shaq, of course. Four-time NBA champion, 
three-time NBA Finals MVP, most valuable player in 2000, and runner-up in 2004. And robbed of a couple more, I think. Yeah, but Mike's with the Heat. I actually forget about that. Mm. He was runner-up. He lost really close to Steve Nash when he played for the Heat. Yeah, robbed. I completely forgot about that. Anyway, 15-time All-Star, three-time All-Star game MVP. Eh, not, you know. Yeah. yeah. But other good things. Eight-time first team All-NBA, two-time second team, and four-time third team. So if you're counting, that's 14 all up. Three-time all-defensive second team. And you can think that, obviously, there were guys like Olajuwon, and there were always centers ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. Rookie of the year, all-rookie first team, two-time scoring champion. One year he didn't get it because David Robinson had a 71, had to throw in my spurs there. 50th anniversary team, 75th anniversary team. Has a jersey retired with two teams? There aren't many players that do. The 32 with the Miami Heat and the 34 with the LA Lakers. you got to pick the big Aristotle, Shaquille O'Neal, number one. Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, you've listed a bunch of things there. You could go on with many, many more things he's achieved over his many years in the league. Has a very long Wikipedia page that I didn't have time to read. Yeah, yeah no, he's done a lot. He really has he done has. a lot. He was in Australia recently. He was. Yeah. Yep. Arguably the most unstoppable player of our generation, even with probably the biggest flaw the NBA has ever seen with his free throw shooting, <laughs> still in most people's top tens of all time, including mine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, he was so dominant that they had to invent, indeed, Coach Pop was a big part in inventing Hacker Shack. Yep. Yeah. Yep, Going back to that free throw shooting, Absolutely. the one weakness. Although, was the weight a little bit of a weakness at times? Like watching some... So I watched a lot of stuff on YouTube last night. Watching some of that old LSU stuff, if he'd maintained that slimmer frame, he might have been the best player of all time. Oh, it was work ethic. I mean, Kobe Bryant has come out and said it a number of times. It's the work ethic yeah. that stopped him from being the greatest player ever. Yeah. And there was that famous, I think it was like a toe injury or something. And he said, oh, I did the injury on company time, so I'm going to rehab on company time. Yeah. So he lost a part of a season that year. I want to say 01, maybe. I can't remember off the top yeah. of my head when that was. But yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. It's a work ethic thing. But what a player and just just dominant. The the big thing about this, and there's certain players as we get a little bit further down the list who started off really, really strong but never really took that next step. Shaq's a guy who averaged, what, 23 points, 14 rebounds and three and a half blocks as a rookie and got better. Yeah, well, he he had at least five blocks in half of his college games. At least five. Every second college game. So that that goes to show the defensive uh, intimidation too. It does, and it, like if again, if you look at the quality in terms of the numbers he's putting up, fourteen straight seasons of twenty points a game or more, thirteen consecutive seasons, ten rebounds or more, two blocks a game in twelve of his first thirteen seasons. This guy just established low post better than anyone that the league's probably ever seen. Used his frame to just overpower everyone and. I don't think anything epitomizes his force quite like the two backboards he destroyed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yep. Like to me, and I don't know if you agree with this, but to me, him pulling the backboard completely off its hinges in New Jersey, that, that's my favorite basketball clip of all time. Wow. Um, I'd have to think about it. I don't know what I would pick, but yeah, it's great footage though, isn't it? There's yeah. no bad just angle. so dominant. There's yeah. no yeah. bad angle of it. Yeah. You know, if you're looking, you've left me with some homework there. Yeah. I'll have to have a good think about that. Yeah. If you're looking at the the New Jersey bench, you've got guys that are lying down in their warm ups, like trying to get away from it. You've got guys in the crowd behind that are just losing their mind for an away player. I just, yeah, to me, it was absolutely nuts. Had his own computer game, Marge. Watch out for the Shack attack, throwing the ball in Bart's face. Yep. So, uh, what was that movie where he played a genie? Shazam. Shazam. <laughs> 
So a really important cultural figure too and cultural phenomenon in his own right. Yeah. And of course on TNT now inside the NBA. Now I did want to, I guess, put a couple of, not counterpoints, because there's no way that you can make any point for Shaq being anything other than number one in this. He did benefit a little bit though when you look at some of the players that he played with. He played with absolute peak Penny Hardaway. Yes. Which, yeah, had he not been injured, would have been probably oh, one of the best players of all time. People younger than us don't understand how good a few of those. Penny Hardaway, Grant Hill, there's a few names from that generation. But Penny was Penny was really good. He was. Then he plays with Pete Kobe Bryant. Then he plays with Pete Dwayne Wade. Then he plays with Pete Steve Nash. Then early sort of Pete LeBron James. And the greatest clutch player of all time, Robert Ory, who will also appear in this draft. He will. He yeah. will. So, you know, you sort of look at that and you, you sort of think, he did benefit a lot from playing with some amazing players. Had he and Kobe been able to put their egos aside, they probably would have won six or seven rings together. Maybe. So there's a lot of that sort of stuff. And my my other big thing with Shaq is I just wish he'd retired after Miami. Yeah, so he had the Phoenix, he had the Boston, he had the Cavs. As you say, he played with LeBron. Yeah, he did hold on maybe a bit too long. And that's the other thing. Had he looked after his body, he could have been dominant still at a later age. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, it often have Patrick Ewing hung around too long. Even Akeem Olajuwon ended up on oh, a different. It the, does happen. The, the Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is the thing: like the Boston year was absolute. That was yuck. That was really hard to watch. It, it's kind of like when MJ played with the Wizards. He was, doesn't look right. Yeah, he was still effective and still did okay, but it just yeah, it it doesn't really look right, as you say. It tarnishes what you remember. But I guess yeah, look, still the consensus number one. Yes. Oh, no. No question. Who you got it to, mate? I mean, again, pretty obvious. It's got to be Alonzo Mourning. Yes. There's no other way you can go. So not surprisingly, the top two guys were exactly as they were drafted. So Zoe, seven-time All-Star, 1999 All-NBA first-team player, two-time Defensive Player of the Year. And again, if you look at some of the amazing centers that were around there, being Defensive Player of the Year as a center there with O'Neal, Matai, Oh, yeah, Olajuwon, yeah, yeah. Yeah. David Robinson was a great defender as well. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, Zoe would like routinely get ten plus blocks in high school, like constantly getting triple, uh, sorry, quadruple doubles, and yeah, dominant for Georgetown. Just that great defensive legacy they had there with with Matumbo, who Patrick, he played with Patrick Ewing, Patrick earlier. Ewing before them. Yeah, so and and he's the sort of guy who would potentially go number one on a lot of redrafts. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at the two that we've done. Him and Gary Payton would be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Obviously not playing the same sort of position on the court. But, no, no, that would be a good conversation. But it would be interesting. And, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who averaged 2.8 blocks a game for his career. Averaged yes. 2.8. And that's keeping in mind the latter stages when you play less minutes, the, the kidney failure stuff. Yep. Pretty impressive and really interesting career, really. And you can kind of put it into perspective. Like 2005, 2006, he averaged 20 minutes a game and averaged 2.7 blocks. Yeah, that's nuts. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. He broke the Charlotte Hornets record for career blocks in his 49th game. Which <laughs> they hadn't been around. They long. hadn't been around them. <laughs> but still, what like a weird stuff. Guys that have been playing for a while. Yeah. I think the big thing with with Zoe, I guess, that kind of held him back was a little bit of the maturity stuff. And we kind of spoke about this when we redrafted Larry Johnson. Those two should have been an absolute force. Well, like Kobe and Shaq too, right? Yep. It's alphas struggling to to play together. It, yeah. it is. And if you look at some of the issues, I mean, it didn't even finish when they left. Like he goes off to Miami, LJ goes off to New York, and they still they have that 
massive punch up in the playoffs. The famous series with Jeff Van Gundy hanging off the yeah, leg off of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the and the result is that they both get suspended. The Knicks covered the loss of Johnson better than they could cover Alonzo in Miami, and they get blown out all of a sudden. Instead of them going on and playing, I mean, who are they going to play? Indiana and then probably Chicago. They're not getting past probably either of those. Maybe Indiana, but not Chicago. But Again, looking at Zoe, looking at him positively, obviously a, a real low post banger when he came into the league, developed a pretty decent outside shot right out to the three-point line, really, at, at stages with Charlotte. Yeah, he had that kind of mid-range little, like a lot of centres do, that little jump shot from from the corner or from the elbows. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, look, really, really solid player. Just unfortunately will always be in the shadow of Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, that's yeah. just the way it is. But to come back from the, the kidney failure and to win a championship, very impressive. And a very, very key part of the backup unit of that Miami Heat team. Absolutely, yeah. And then finished in then New Jersey and kind of, like a lot of players, had a bit of a trail off at the end, but it happens. It, it does happens. happen. Right, now if you're back on the clock, third pick is all yours. Who you got? Now, here's a tricky thing, Shui, and we've already kind of teased this a little bit and we've talked about it before. Obviously, Latrell Sprewell had some pretty major off-court issues. Well, some of it were on-court too, but some, what do we call it, temper issues. He's a or... dick. Call, <laughs> call it what it is. He's a dick. Well, he's enigmatic. He's really, it's hard to completely hate him, to be honest. So I watched a lot of Latrell stuff last night. I watched highlights. I watched interviews from back in the day. I watched the famous 60 Minutes episode. I watched newer stuff where he's reflecting as an older man on his current day. And look, he's done some stuff. I think you probably haven't yet. <laughs> but if I weren't to select him here, would you select him at four is question number one. That's what I actually had him at four. Yeah, okay. So I'm taking him at three because I'm not going to let him fall. I mean, we get, we get into a weird situation where if we're not picking based on anything other than on-court talent and skill and whatnot, we don't want to play that game of working out, okay, how far does he fall? Okay, he would only fall to four, it turns out, in the end. I do think he's the third best player in the draft. Had an incredible career, 18 points a game, four rebounds, uh, four assists, one and a half steals, played even better in the playoffs. So his points per game went up, his rebounds per game went up. We talked about him in Sport Chokes episode 72, so we won't go into a hell of a lot of detail on the choke. It does need to be mentioned, though. So, yeah, so I will take him there. Really interesting guy. Didn't start playing competitive basketball until he was a senior in high school. Wow. Which is partly why I think he started in a community college. He did end up at uh, Alabama, I think it was. Yeah, it was Alabama, yeah. yeah, Alabama had some good players around that time and a few in this draft. Well, Robert Ory. Yeah, exactly, enough. yeah. So he was originally picked 24, but in with the benefit of hindsight, I will take Latrell Sprewell at number three. The reason I had him drop into four was, I guess, going back to the question you asked at the start, he was a horrible chemistry guy. And that that's the issue I have is that I love the fact that he was such a great player, but I just don't like what he would necessarily bring to, I guess, the locker room. You know, you mentioned the choking incident. In 93, he got into a fight with Byron Houston, who was a fucking big dude. Like he had 50 pounds on him, and apparently a lot of people said he had this Mike Tyson sort of disposition, I guess. In 95, he got into a fight with Jerome Kersey, the late great Jerome Kersey, then returned to practice with a two-by-four and threatened to come back with a gun. Well, this is the thing, right? So I, I kind of found out a bit more about this last night when I was doing my research. Apparently, Kersey was beating the shit out of him, and that's why he went back for reinforcements. 
So I don't know if it was literally a two by four, but yeah, he came back with a plank of wood. Never let and, the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, right? well, hey, yeah, yeah. But yeah. The, the fact that he came back, and that's the same thing with the choking incident. So he choked PJ Carlissimo. Carlissimo eventually convinced him to piss off, went and had a shower, came back with what he says was the intention to say, I don't want to play here anymore. And then he punched him again. Mm. So the fact that he he knows he makes the wrong decision cools down and then makes the wrong decision again. That's why he was given the biggest then sanction for the longest suspension non-drug related in NBA history. He was suspended for 68 games. I think they started one and 13 that year. Yeah, they were terrible. Yeah. So there would have been a lot of frustration bubbling around. But watching that 60 Minutes interview is really interesting. Always the victim. Nothing's his fault. Tends to tone everything down. Wanted to make it really clear that he never choked him. He did other things, but it wasn't a choke. It's a really weird fixation on the word choke. So yeah, weird guy. But as I say, I also watched a recent interview of him, and he was he was kind of good. I don't know. Okay, what's... he's done some bad. Th- There's that girl on the yacht thing too. I don't know if you have that in your. I, d- I don't. No. Yeah. Then like, what's what's the the comeback? I guess on the three year, twenty one million dollar extension. So 2004, Minnesota try to offer him a pretty reasonable extension at the time. He basically comes back and says, "I've got a family to feed." Yeah, yeah. Like that how, famous clip. Like, yeah. how do you come back to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the thing is, like, he basically expected that if he turned that one down, that someone would come calling, and they didn't. Basically, and his his agent Bob Gist actually said, "Spreewell quote would not be interested in signing for any team's five million dollar mid level exception, calling the amount a level beneath which Spreewell would stoop." Or Neil. So how's this? The, both the Mavericks and the Spurs gave him contract offers after he played with the Timberwolves. Good Timberwolves team. They made the Western Conference Finals against the Shaq Kobe Lakers, by the way. Mark Madsen Lakers. Actually. Yeah, well, yes, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he just said no. Didn't didn't want to play. So he just kind of rode off into the sunset. He didn't even respond to their calls. Yeah, weird. So, yeah, it is a little bit weird. Also not a, a great guy in terms of team success. He only made the playoffs in five of his 13 seasons. So... I don't know. That was kind of why I had him a little bit further down. Yeah. I mean, he was very good in those 99 NBA finals. Had 35 points in that closeout game game for the Spurs. Yeah. A menace in the passing lanes. A couple of really nice highlights. Really good dunks. That one over Jaron Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, man. The father of Jaron Jackson Jr., who now plays for Memphis, of course. Yeah, it was brutal. That was so very impressive. So the fact that he lifted his game in the playoffs, okay, he didn't play in the playoffs as much as he would have liked. Yeah. But the fact that he did lift his game in the playoffs, he was clutch. He was the best player on that team, I think it's fair to say, even though Alan Houston was paid more. Oh, yeah, he was the best player, definitely. So so that's why I had him at third. But you're right. It's the off-court stuff. How's this? So there's so much stuff on YouTube about him. There's a 1996-97 Latrell Sprewell heated moments compilation that goes for <laughs> 16 minutes. That's just one season. Yeah, right. So there's just some weird stuff out there about him. So, yeah, it's it's with mixed thoughts that I took him at three. And he is pretty much the epitome of how difficult this draft was to redraft because you had a number of guys in that same sort of ilk. So it's it's very interesting. I'll tell you what, I came very close to taking Robert Ory at this pick. <laughs> Are good. you going to take him at four? I took him at three. Oh, there you go. So I now you're taking him at four. I le- yep, I legitimately took him at three. So originally drafted 11th. Now... Again, this is one where I'm not so much drafting on pure raw talent because if you look, I mean, if you look at the numbers, they don't jump off the page. But 
He was always on winning teams, on deep teams. So his numbers probably were impacted by that. And if you look at the quality of what he does, the biggest freaking clutch gene you would ever see from a non-superstar. Yep, absolutely. And probably one of the best regardless of that. And I think he should be in the Hall of Fame just about for that alone. Yep. To have three different teams to be an important cog in championship winning teams. And how many did he get in the end? Seven? Seven. So, yeah, really important. He was probably right up there with Draymond Green in terms of the most impactful 7.5 rebound sort of guy that you would ever see. And put it this way, the Spurs don't win the title in 2005 without Ori's Game 5. Oh, definitely not. 21. I've watched that game so many times. It is a joy to watch. Yeah. In Detroit, too. In Detroit. 21 points across the fourth quarter and overtime. Hits the big game winner. Had a big dunk prior to that. Huge lefty dunk. And a couple of big shots prior to that, too. Yeah. So, you know, that that sort of a championship never happens, probably. I think Detroit go on and win that one. If you go back to 2002, the Lakers probably don't even make the finals without that historic straightaway three against the Kings in game four. He puts away game three of the 95 finals against Orlando with a clutch three in the last 20 seconds. And this is basically like his, what, third season in the league? And if you look at the playoff stats, so in 94-95, for example, he had 13 points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists, one and a half steals, and a block. I mean, they're key numbers in, in a playoff. Yep. Very, very good numbers. So, yeah, I mean, he's never going to appear on, I guess, these, you know, these lists of, like, guys with the most game winners, but he always popped up at the right time, always was in that spot. I always talk about there was one game in that Los Angeles uh, Philadelphia series in 2001 where Philly had been playing them so tough and Ori just again pops up in that corner hits this really clutch three I think it went from a two to a five point game with less than a minute to go he yeah just, and that's huge he just finds those spots yeah and and just to go back to that Sacramento one that's the one that sticks out to me where the ball Kobe misses bubbles around, pops out to him and that. He always seemed to be, as you say, in the right spot at the right time. Yep. And bang, hits the three. And the thing is, like, on top of that, he was a great fundamental guy, really, really great post-passer. Like, that's a, it's a skill that is very underrated. When you play with amazing guys like peak Shaq, peak Hakeem Olajuwon, peak Tim Duncan, you have to be a good post-passer. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely. So It's an underrated skill. It, it is. And so if, if you look at that, and I guess going back to the comparison Someone like Spreewell, who played with a pretty much peak Kevin Garnett and mm. a pretty, you know, a couple of no, definitely peak, really yeah. decent sort of things. Yep. And okay, again, they came up against the juggernaut in those Lakers with Robert Ory, funnily enough. Yes. Just, I don't know, he just didn't impact the the team's success for me quite the same way that Ory did. So, yeah, look, it's, it's tough when you're trying to pick a guy who averaged seven and five for his career at number three, but he's not a guy who you really rate by his numbers. Over a thousand games, so he played one thousand one hundred and seven, uh, nearly two hundred and fifty playoff games. Just super important. Good team guy, good chemistry guy. Okay, he had that little incident with Danny Ainge in the towel in that brief Phoenix stint. Yep. So he wasn't perfect, but and, and oh, yeah, I loved watching that man play. And aren't you thankful he did? Because yeah, of course. Forced him to. Get I was Devo when he retired. I thought the Spurs should have. Well, he kind of retired without choice. I think I, th- I would have liked him to have at least played one more season. But yeah, fantastic player. Head of his time a little bit. Really good stretch forward. Play really well in today's game. Yeah. Really well. Yeah, he would. And what's interesting is, so apparently they, in college, they wanted to have him as a back-to-the-basket player. But he's like, no, I'm I'm a swing man. I, I'm a big swing man. I want to be out on the perimeter. And I think that was his best. It's hard to find a comp for him. 
And and thinking of comps, I think Latrell Sprewell, poor George, is kind of a decent comp for Latrell. Like okay. good good jump shot, menace in the passing lanes, athletic. Yeah, I, I find it harder to pick a comp for Robert Ory, but yeah, what a player. Hmm. Who you got at five? Well, I think I've got to go with Doug Christie here. So 827 games, 11 points, four rebounds, three and a half assists, two steals, really good defender, similar stats in the playoffs, uh, played on a few different teams, was really good on some of those Toronto teams, for example, really good on, on the Sacramento Kings. Did that weird sign to his wife every time he scored. The med- the, yeah, the, the, the yeah. Medal, yeah. I remember reading so many articles about him being whipped and all sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we won't go there. But uh, yeah, I think Doug Christie's the way to go here. What do you reckon? I had him at eight. That low? But, but again, this is what I think was so interesting about this draft is there's so many different ways that you can look at it. And like he's probably my second favorite guy in the draft. Like he, He's a guy that I really loved. And I know I joked about Rick Fox sort of punching him when we did the, the 91 redraft. But I have a lot of respect for this guy. Like he went from a guy who didn't really do a lot in the first four seasons in the league with the Lakers to a guy who was just consistently one of the best three and D guys in the entire league. Had a stretch where he averaged two or more steals a game in six of seven seasons. Yeah. And yeah, he didn't take a lot of threes, but he went up as high as about 39%, which back then was elite. Nowadays, 39 is like average, but... No, no, no. You've got to look at things in context. You do. Yeah. And and that's maybe why I, I do value defense a lot. That's maybe why I have him a little bit higher too. That's fair enough. But you could guarantee he would be playing the opposition's best perimeter player. And similar thing with Spreewell, I forgot to mention. I know you've talked about Michael Jordan saying Bobby Fields. But on a thing I watched last night, at that time, and I don't know what season it was, Jordan said that Latrell was his best defender at that particular point in time. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so MJ just makes it up as he as he goes. Well, no, maybe, maybe I don't I don't know when these comments happened. You right. know? So I don't know the chronology of it all. No, but no, I mean they're both very good defenders. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. we've talked about Bobby Fields. But with I guess the Toronto stuff that you're talking about as well, he proved he could be a 15, 16 point a game sort of guy. But what I loved about him was the fact that he was so happy to sacrifice that so he could go to a team like Sacramento that had Chris Webber, that had Mike Bibby, that had Peja Stojakovic White chocolate. over the sort of the, the following years, I guess. He didn't necessarily have them all at that time, but he went into that team. Oh, basically. Yeah. I think, yeah. Jason Williams, Bobby Jackson. Yeah, I think they sort of picked up different pieces over the, the yeah. few years. But... Lawrence Funderburg. Lawrence <laughs> Funderburg. <laughs> Uh, very good I like it but yeah he just he was this really unselfish guy he I, I love him on defense as well like had that really good sort of mix of height and length and he, he did he put the clamps on a lot of guys so yeah look I don't have a problem with him and as I said the top eight or nine guys you could really make a case for most different orders anyway fun little fact though about him he was drafted by Seattle traded to the Lakers without playing a game in his first game his jersey read Chrisite they got the T and the I around oh. the way at the end. <laughs> Chris, Chris There you go. There you go. He also played in that team that Dennis Rodman took across to North Korea. Ah, there you go. Mm. Okay. And he remarries his wife every year, talking about being whipped. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Don't you do the hand signal every time? Probably, yeah. yeah. Pick six, Chewy, and I dare say it might be another big man. Yeah, pick six, taking it to the house. Ah, very nice. Yes, mixed metaphors. Speaking of house, a teammate of Eddie House. Ah, very good. Boston Celtics. I've gone PJ Brown. Yeah, okay, okay. Go on, PJ. 
unfortunately probably best remembered for body slamming Charlie Ward while playing for Miami, but uh, he had a really, really good, solid career, real lunch pail sort of guy. And I know we've spoken very highly of lunch pail guys like Tyrone uh, Hill in the Tyrone previous Hill. draft. Yep. Yeah. We had Antonio Davis as well. Like we, we love the those Davis boys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. PJ Brown, yeah, real reliable mid-range jumper, surprisingly quick laterally as well. Real excellent shot blocker across his entire career. Exceptional defender, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason as well, obviously being such a good shot blocker, that he was a three-time all-defensive second team player, which again, that era, really, really impressive to be a part of any of those teams. What draft for defense? I mean, it's a it's a strong draft regardless, Mm. but defense too, yeah. 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 Now, he was never an all-star caliber player, never really had the offensive game to be quite that level, but he always contributed to winning culture. Really important guy off the bench in that 2008 Celtics championship team just before he retired. Yes, definitely. And on top of that, J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award in 1997 and NBA Sportsmanship Award in 2004. So just a good guy all around. By the way, I think Alonzo Mourning had some of those sort of things in his career too. I think he he's done a lot for the community too. Yeah. So. Uh, I know ma- we're jumping around a little bit, but he matured. Yeah. He matured a bit later. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. yeah. You, you can you can still be an alpha dog who fights with his teammates and help the community. They're not kind of mutually exclusive, oh, but if anyone yeah. understands maturing late, it's me. <laughs> still waiting for my voice to drop. <laughs> your voice well, to drop. Yeah. Do you mean your balls to drop or your voice to voice. break? Well. Oh yeah. True. Oh, I see voice. To oh, break. Right, oh, you can. All right. My voice drop. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right, number seven, Nath. All right, Shui. Well, there's four guys here I could go. I could go two guards or two bigs. We've got Jimmy Jackson, David Wesley, Tom Gugliotta, and Christian Leitner. Part of me wants to go Gugliotta here. I preferred him as a player. But when you look at games played, it gets trickier. So David Wesley played 949. Oh, it gets really tough here. I'm going to go... You haven't even decided yet, have you? <laughs> well, I have a big board. I like actually, I like thinking on the fly with these. Look, Shui, I could change my mind about 10 times on this and we don't have all day. There is a FIFA World Cup game to watch soon. What, the final? Uh, <laughs> we haven't gone that He's long. He's undenied about this for about three we hours. Gone, we haven't gone that long. <laughs> Look, I want to say Tom Gugliotta. I'm tempted to say David Wesley. I think I kind of have to say Christian Leitner. 868 games, nearly 13 points, nearly seven boards, two and a half assists, one steal, similar numbers in the playoffs. He played 45 games, was an important part of that Hawks team, for example. I'll take Leitner, but it literally could be any of those guys I mentioned. And there's a few other guys as well. It gets really tough from here, doesn't it? I had Leitner at six. Yeah. So okay. I've got no problems with that. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the better of the two. I think Leitner and Gugliotto are almost the same player. But- yeah, Gugliotta had more rebounds, played a few less games. It, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a coin toss. I preferred Gugliotta. It had a bit more of a three point range. I really like those Timberwolves teams, though. I think that's, oh, that's probably cool. why I, I well, favour Gugliotta. Well, sorry, the Timberwolves teams with KG and yeah. Steph and all those. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I got no problems with Leitner. I mean, it, he'll always go down as a member of the greatest basketball team of all time. Something that a lot of people. Keep neglecting the dream it? team, yeah. Ahead of Shaq, by the way. Yes, which a lot of people were not happy about. Yeah, I don't know. He had more college success. I'm okay with that selection. Well, how's yeah. this for crazy? He actually has probably a couple of the more difficult college records to break. So he has the record for the most NCAA tournament games played, 23 out of a possible 24. Yep, those crazy Duke teams. So three championship games and a final four. 
one part of one of the greatest highlights in college basketball history with Grant Hill. Oh, probably the. Probably the. Probably the. Very close to. He also has the record for the most wins, 21. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So two-time champion, obviously gets to the yeah, the final four and the championship game, the other two. So very, very impressive. The only argument I think you could make with Leitner is that his career overall was probably a little bit disappointing in terms of, I think, Maybe he didn't live up to the hype. Well, coming in, I think everyone kind of expected that he was going to be this super-duper star. Um, there were comparisons to like Larry Bird, which I think were utterly ridiculous. But but he did dominate college. He did. And it's like he, he did better than Danny Ferry, but it's a somewhat similar situation to Danny Ferry coming out of Duke, a lot of high expectation, very successful college team, very successful college player. Didn't go to Italy, though. No, no. But this takes me back to our chat with with Bo from a few weeks ago, like when he was talking about how LeBron lived up to the, it's very hard. Very few players live up to the expectation. It is. It is. So one time all-star played with six teams in his last 10 years in the league. He was solid. And you can't say that about everyone drafted at number three, Like For every Michael Jordan and James Harden, you get a Derek Favors or a Dennis Hobson, you know, guys that maybe didn't quite make it quite as well. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. And look, yeah, sweet mid-range sort of sort of jumper on him, really, really smooth, decent rebounder, decent defender. But the issue was that he never improved. If you look at his career high in scoring was his rookie season. Yeah, right. And his rebounding that year as well was 0.1 shy of his career high as well. So everyone expected that after year one, he'd kind of vault up to this superstar level and it just never happened. Yeah. So yeah. he just became a bit of a, a journeyman, you know, better than a role player, not as good as a superstar. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where at that part of the draft, and that will probably round out the rest of the lottery, won't it? Mm. Yeah. Who you got at seven? The exact guy that kind of fits into that mold, Tom Goodwill. Yeah. Another yep. guy who I think people were expecting to really jump to that level. As I've said here, he's basically a copy and paste of Christian Lehner. Similar numbers, similar amount of teams. They both made their one all-star appearance in 1997. Both played out of the ACC, would have played each other in college a fair bit. Yep. Yeah, NC State. Probably the only real difference is that Guglielmo had a bit of an upturn after his rookie season. Like he was pretty good in Washington, but really good when he got to those Minnesota teams you were talking about before. And really good on NBA Jam session at shooting threes. He was. He was a forty-eight on threes and a forty-five on twos. I remember that. I actually, I actually remember him being better on three than two. So my memory. We should, we should explain this game to people. So oh, like, so it's that board game. Oh God, yeah. Where, how do we explain this? Well, all right, so it's a yeah, it's a board game where you select players, and on their cards they've got rankings for twos, threes, and and free throws. And so what you would do is you'd basically, uh, you would you would pick a card, and it would say, well, before you pick up the card, you would say the ball is with Gugliotta, he shoots a three turn the card over and it will give you scores for two, three and free throws. Yeah, outcomes. And yeah. if you're above that, you get the points. If you're below it, it's a miss and then you have to see who gets the rebound. Gugliotta was the guy you would always pick though because he was such a good three-point shooter. Oh yeah, big time. It really was. And so looking at those Minnesota teams, back-to-back -back years of basically 20 points and nearly nine rebounds a game, which all-star sort of quality yeah. level. Yeah, which is why I really wanted to take him over late now. Yeah, they were good years. I love those Timberwolves teams. They were. So much fun to and watch. Deceptively tall, 6'11". Yeah. Don't yeah. remember him being, I thought he was like a 6'9 sort of guy. But yeah, top 10 in the league in steals in 93, 94. So for a really tall guy, had amazing hands. You're talking me out of my pick. Here. I know, I know. But he was just <laughs> never in a position to really exceed that level. Like he was never going to go up and be a 25 and 10 sort of guy. And, and that's not to talk down on what he did because the two years he averaged 20 points a game, he had 22 and 14 guys in the league that averaged 20 or more. 
So he was one of a very select group of players, and it's very impressive. And this is something important to mention, I think. So you can look at Spreewell's stats, for example, and say, oh, he averaged 15 points a game, or you can look at a number of guys. It was a grind-out era. Yeah. The scores were lower. Defensive kind of mentality was really taking hold. You look at like the Pat Riley coach teams and his acolytes. He had a number of coaches after him and under him that had success defensively like Van Gundy. Rumour is that Charles Barkley's still backing down defenders right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, exactly. So, so you do need to think of these numbers in context as well because had these guys played today, you can almost add four points to four a lot five, of play, yeah. four or five points and rebounds and whatnot. So, yeah, that's that's important to keep in mind. It is. And crazy story about him to round this pick out, and I think we've told this one before. In 1999, he's playing in Phoenix and struggling to sleep. So he decides he's going to take a supplement, which is being sold as a sleeping aid, and he's on the phone to his wife, collapses and stops breathing. His wife panics, calls Rex Chapman's wife, and basically gets him on the phone through his wife, and he was actually able to then save Googs' life. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. We have discussed. We have it. discussed. I can't remember it. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. I think it was a this week in sport. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make yeah, sense. Yeah, very random. Pick number nine, Nath. Yeah, look, there's a, such a logjam of guys that averaged around ten points a game, and then there's a lot of really similar stats. So we're really at a point now of preference. I mean, even Walt Williams, for God's sake, averaged twelve points a game across seven hundred and eight games. So like, I would not have remembered that. Hey, I know he had some good years, but twelve points a game for a career is pretty good. It's good. Kind of the tiebreaker here is games played. So 949 games, 12 and a half points a game, two and a half rebounds, four and a half assists, which is pretty good. Again, in a lower scoring era, just over a steal, similar numbers in the playoffs. He played 55 playoff games. Important part of a lot of Hornets teams in particular. I'll go with David Wesley. Look, I had him at 13, but again, that's no slight on him. It's just, there's a lot of guys, as you say, that are kind of packed around there. Really solid three-point shooter, up to 42% at one stage in his career. A very underrated defender as well. Yes. Had had really good hands. Offensively, maybe a little bit one-dimensional. His shooting percentages for, I guess, two-pointers weren't particularly great. It was sort of around the same as his three-point uh, See, so, I should have looked at the, the percentages a bit more. Yeah, so his, his splits were not amazing, I guess. But yeah, as you, as you sort of mentioned there, the Charlotte years, he was really good. He was sort of around about a 15 and 6 sort of guy with Charlotte and his later years in Boston. So a very, very serviceable guard there. Yeah, second most points all time for undrafted players behind just Moses Malone. There you go. Well, that's that's a great step. So very, very good. Interestingly, left Baylor 33 hours short of graduating. Really? 33. Wow. Well, he had a pretty good career. He made some good coin in the end. He but did. yeah, wow. Okay. You go back. Though. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts. Wow. I will just clarify one thing that Nathan's pointed out. I, I kind of made it sound like he played at Boston after Charlotte, but he was Boston right at the start, basically after I believe he was with New Jersey. And then, yeah, that sounds right. And yeah. then went on to play with Charlotte after that. And I guess my strongest memory of him is playing well with Baron Davis, forming a good backcourt with Baron Davis on those Hornets teams. They were good to watch. Jamal Mashburn played on those teams. Yep. They were decent teams. They were a fun team. Yeah. Matt Geiger was on that team at one stage. Uh, at at well. points, yeah. Yeah. Another player drafted in 90. Around the same time he played with Philly as well. Yeah. yeah. He was a big man on yeah, some of those Eastern Conference teams. Oh, you got it, 10, Shuey. The Fonz. The Fonz. Lafonso Ellis. Lafonso Ellis. Originally drafted fifth, but I yeah, I've got to do this. Let's get this out of the way early as well. He has the greatest block of the 1990s. Oh, so good. 
it was a one-hand snatch block on Brian Davis, and I have been incorrectly stating that it was Marlon Maxey for decades now, so I apologise. From this draft class, by the way, Marlon Maxey. And Brian Davis. But yes, absolutely ridiculous block. What I loved about Fonz was his energy. This super athletic guy, loved dunking on people, was a good rebounder. The reason I can't have him higher, though, on this list is he had four really good seasons and one great season in Denver in 96-97. He was a 22-7 and guy, absolutely robbed of being an all-star, probably because the Denver team was 11-71, and but <laughs> still, he was oh. a very, very good player. Detlef Schrempf and Chris Gatley made it, so I look at that and go... Fonz was probably better. Yeah. And in our in our other redraft episodes, we've already talked about those exciting Nuggets teams. And we've also talked about Chris Gatling and that all-star appearance too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But then for some reason, he decided to sign with Atlanta in free agency, I guess because Atlanta was a much better team than Denver. But Maybe wanted to join his old friend Dikembe. He probably did, actually. Yeah. But yeah, basically took less than half of what he was making in Denver. His numbers dwindled to a point where he was out of the league at 32. And like... As I said, I get it. Denver was hideous, but that Hawks team was never going to win anything. Like they were a good regular season team. They just never really gelled in the playoffs. Didn't they take the Bulls to five games in the first round when they had five game series back then? Doesn't sound maybe they took one. I don't know. Maybe. I, I remember I remember them, I remember I distinctly remember you and I looking at scores in the library at recess, going, Holy shit, Hawks took a game against the Bulls in the playoffs. 96, I reckon, year eight. Actually, yeah, I think you might be right there. Yeah. But yeah. Look, the big thing with that team, if Alan Henderson is your third top scorer, are you going anywhere? I don't think you are. He was an okay player, but yeah. Exactly. He was yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Fonz, awesome dude. Just unfortunately, like so many of these big guys that we've spoken about, just trailed off at the back end of the career. And he also played a couple, at least a couple less seasons than a lot of guys that have been, we've already picked and a lot of guys around here too. So yeah. that's maybe another reason why he wasn't higher. Does great work for college basketball. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They should have him on the NBA draft instead of Kendrick Perkins. He knows a lot about college ball. He's commentating it on a nightly basis. I think, I hope he's on the next draft coverage because ESPN, they're just wasting it. I had to block Kendrick Perkins on Twitter. I can't deal with him. I am not a fan. He's a dick. All right, Nath, let's turn this all the way up to 11. Who you got? Well, possibly the greatest journeyman of all time, kind of the textbook definition of journeyman. We've got to go with Jimmy Jackson himself. 885 games, 14 and a half points, four and a half rebounds, three and a half assists or three assists, 48 playoff games, 10 points a game in the playoffs. He did play for 12 different teams. I don't know if that works against him or not, but he had a really good career, good defender, allegedly got in a punch up with Jason Kidd over (laughs) Tony Braxton, Braxton, which we've already talked about a few times. I I think we got to take Jimmy here or I've got to take Jimmy here. I I had him at 10. Yeah. And I think that's just purely down to the fact that you took David Wesley before. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah so the orders get... He's yeah. about right. Latrell Sprewell, Mark II, but probably a less talented Latrell Sprewell. Uh, less athletic. Yeah. yeah. Um, more Different body shape. Yeah. More, more stocky, more kind of... But he was a good defender and yeah. And when I, when I say Latrell Sprewell, Mark II, I mean like supremely talented scorer, just a shit dude. All you have to do is look at it, you know, 13 teams in 14 seasons... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you reckon that's a chemistry it's, thing. It's not a good sign. Well, okay. I've some of his podcasting and stuff, and I found him to be quite interesting. Yeah, okay. Let me let me explain why, and, and this is based on what I've seen and, and sort of listened to. So, obviously, in Dallas, we know they had that trio. So, Jason Kidd, Jamal Mashburn, and him. Should have been a really great core to build around. Should have been a powerhouse. Yeah. But Jackson was selfish, and he complained a lot, basically to the point where Don Nelson traded him to the Nets just to get him out of there. 
So basically, they get rid of him, they get rid of Chris Gatling, they get rid of Sam Cassell, and they pretty much get back Sean Bradley and Robert Pack. Mm. It's a shit trade. Mm, not great. And then, as we said, there's that rumour that he and Jason Kidd didn't get along because of Tony Braxton wanting one of them to unbreak her heart. Ah, very good. Yeah, great so, song. Yeah. It, it was a good song. Yeah, it? still is. It still is, yeah, yeah, true. But then it was just rinse and repeat. Like, if he was on a bad team, he would play big minutes, put up points, and then complain about the fact that he was on a losing team. Yeah, okay. If he was on a good team, he would complain that he wasn't getting the same numbers and the same minutes as he did because he was on a good team. And every stop he went to, he would play one season and then he'd either be traded or not offered a contract. He didn't even show up in New Orleans because he didn't want to play there, which is really odd. Like that was a team with Baron Davis and all-star. Maybe it's because Jamal Mashburn was on that team. Was he at the no, time? No, 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 no. This was before that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. They had like all-star level Jamal McGlaw. Like this was a, a really oh, yeah, decent team. Up and coming team. He yeah, yeah. really useful, put up big numbers. And yeah, on top of that, he relied a little bit on the athleticism early on. Ankle injuries kind of took away what he could do and developed into a really good three-point shooter. I can see on your notes, his field goal percentage from three in the playoffs. 42%. Yeah, pretty good. So very, very good. But yeah, just again, a, a really bad locker room guy. And teams just don't need that, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess I maybe didn't factor that in enough. But this is around the right spot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would have had him a spot higher than that. So yeah, yeah no yeah. problems there at all. So we're nearly up to our honourable mentions now. Two more picks left, Chewie. Who you got at 12? Spoonman. Oh, Soundgarden reference. I like it. I like it. Clarence Weatherspoon, originally number nine. I mean, again, how often do we see in these redrafts absolute beast for like five years and then role player who bounces around the league for the rest? He should have been an all-star his second season. It was like 18 and 10 with a steal and a block and then Charles Oakley and Horace Grant make it. Like. Name recognition. Exactly. Yeah. Established names, they get the nod. Winning teams too. Absolutely, yes. Of course. But like Charles Oakley averaged 12 and 12. Weatherspoon's averaging 18 and 10. Yeah. Yeah. Got to give him the nod. Anyway, Spoon was basically like Charles Barkley sort of aura, I guess, about him. Similar body shape. Yeah. yeah, Undersized guy trying to help bring Philly back to the promised land. Rebounded really well for an undersized guy. Like Barkley, he was listed as a couple of inches taller than he probably was. Had that real good back down game, loved contact. And funnily enough, they drafted him three days after they traded Barkley to Phoenix. Yeah, right. So he was pretty much a direct replacement. Yeah. He was. And probably played a part in the trade, maybe. He probably did. Yeah. 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 But the team brings in Derek Coleman. They draft Jerry Stackhouse and Alan Iverson over the next couple of years. Weatherspoon has to move to the three, which he doesn't want to play. His numbers drop because obviously Coleman's eating up all his rebounds. The three wasn't the right spot for him. No, always a four. Always a four. So yeah, he's constantly in trade rumors. He just fell off a cliff. Basically had one good season with Cleveland in 2000, 2001, but it was kind of hard to watch him with the Knicks and the Rockets after that. What sticks out to me is his playoff numbers. So, okay, smallish sample size. Played 915 regular season games, 11.5 points, 7.5 boards, 1.5 assists and a steal. Good numbers. In the playoffs, they dropped. And that that I factored that in. So 5.6 points, 3.7 rebounds. I mean, negligible, not even an assist. Hmm. So that works against him a little bit too, I think. But that's why, because... Good player, bad team. He, he only played in the playoffs late in his career. Yeah, yeah. Never played in any of the playoffs with Philadelphia because they were crap. So yeah. he was relying on those years when he was with like Miami and New York to actually get any kind of playoffs. And I think there's a fairly logical choice to round out the lottery. I think we've got the same guy with our last pick. Yeah, there really is. But for example, Todd Day had a decent career. And look, we'll get to the honourable mentions. Brian Stith, Malik Seeley, rest in peace. Anthony Peeler. 
there's some good depth in this draft. But yeah, we got to go with Walt Williams. As I said, I was surprised to see his numbers. 12 points a game across 708 games. Dipped in the playoffs a bit. Didn't play a hell of a lot of playoffs. But look, decent career. Could hit the three. Walt the Wizard. Well, the Wizard, yeah, probably one of these guys who best sums up the fact that there can be hundreds of star players in college. Only a handful, really, in the NBA. Yeah, we consider that. yeah. Maryland player, absolute beast. Got his averages up to nearly 27 a game in his senior year. Sacramento basically gave him a spot in the front of the car with Mitch Richmond. Traded away Billy Owens. They basically had Lionel Simmons. Like They had all these guys that were kind of playing similar sort of spots. God, Sacramento's had some bad luck when you think about it. Like, have. Billy Owens never lived up to his potential. Lionel Simmons started really well out of the gate and then just kind of turned to shit. Yeah. I mean, some of it's self-inflicted. Oh, but of course. Yeah, yeah. But he's also similar to Christian Leitner. He averaged his career high in points in his rookie season. He ended up a pretty lethal three-point shooter at the end of his career, sort of 38 for the total career, but... He basically became a spot-up shooter. Yeah, yeah, 39 to 40% around those sort of Dallas Mavericks and Houston Rockets teams, a little bit with Portland as well. The Mavs is, that's my strongest memory of him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a fun Mavs team. But like for a guy who was supposedly this wizard who had really great vision, only averaged more than four assists a game once in his career, which is really disappointing. Yeah, two two for the whole career, two, two per game. Hmm. So yeah. Yeah, And so I think really when you look at it later in the career when he became that role player with the Blazers and the Mavs and the Rockets, he actually probably ended up being more valuable than when he was trying to be the guy. Yeah, that's fair. And so I think that's probably the best thing we can say about Walt Williams. He was an excellent role player, but maybe a guy who drafted at number seven originally didn't live up to expectations. No, I think that's fair to say. But he did have a good career and he lasted a long time. Two fun things about Walt Williams. Oh, yeah. So he Long wore, socks? wore the socks to honor <laughs> George Gervin. Ah, okay. There you go. And he appeared in the film clip for I Only Want to Be With You. Ah, Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, there you go. So there you go. Walt Williams. Walt Williams. I'm back, even though you've been hearing me. Anyway, before we get too matrixy, uh, I'll just run through our picks as they were. Number one, Shaq. Number two, Zoe. Number three, Spree. Number four, Big Shot Rob. Number five, Doug Christie. Number six, PJ Brown. Number seven, Christian Leitner. Number eight, Tom Gugliotta. Number nine, David Wesley. Number 10, the Fonz, LaFonso Ellis. Number 11, Jimmy Jackson. Number 12, Weatherspoon, the Clarence Variety. And number 13, Walt Williams. All right, back into it. All right, let's race through the honorable mentions in no particular order. Todd Day, 12 and 3 in 483 games. Adam Key, 5 and 4 in 617. Harold Miner, Baby Jordan, only played 200 games. Brian Stith had a decent career, nearly 600 games, 10 and 3. Malik Seeley, as I say, rest in peace. Anthony Peeler, two guys that were really good on that Minnesota Timberwolves team we've mentioned a few times now. Tracy Murray averaged nine a game. Didn't he have a 50 once? He did indeed. I'll talk about that in a second. Hubert Davis, John Barry, great broadcaster who disappeared. We've mentioned that a few times. Oliver Miller, look, we joke about him a lot, but 7.4 points a game, 5.9 rebounds, two assists, one and a half blocks in 493 games. It's not shit. It's not nothing. I do have a shit story about him, though. Okay. Is it about cheeseburgers? It's not about cheeseburgers. Well, actually, well, is it a barbecue cookout? So. Oh, okay. Oh, we'll get there. And then a couple of other bigs as well. So Popeye Jones, 7-7 seven and seven across 535 games. Matt Geiger, 9 and nearly 6 across 552 games. Geiger was important on that 2001 Philly team. I have 
incredible stories about both of those guys. All right, fire away. So I'm gonna, fire I'll, I'll get away. to them eventually, but we've got a few of these guys that you've just mentioned. So firstly, Tracy Murray. Yeah, nothing really special about him aside from one of the most random 50-point games. I think we've spoken about this one as well, but in 1998 against Golden State for Washington, he has that 50-point game, and Rod Strickland had a 21-point, 20-assist, 12-rebound game for Washington. Rod Strickland, another one of those guys that people forget how good he was. Didn't he lead the league in assists one year? He did. With Washington? Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's a phenomenal player. Oh, maybe, maybe Ruined the Spurs one year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we we'll talked about that. We won't get into that no, one. No. <laughs> now, Oliver Miller, remembered for playing at a weight of about 170 kilos at one point. Yeah, B. That is B. I mean, he was seven foot, but Jesus. Still. Yeah. Actually served a year in prison for pistol whipping a guy at a barbecue cookout in 2011. Oh, now that you mention it, I do think, yeah, we've talked about that before too. Yeah. Guy tried to get to his burger. (laughs) Ouch. Now, 27th pick Byron Houston. A lot of people will know him as the guy who dunked on Andrew Gaze in that basketball card. Ah, uh, yes. While yep. he was playing for the Warriors. His story took a really sad turn, unfortunately. So in 2006, he was removed from a coaching camp in Oklahoma after it was revealed in 2003, he pleaded guilty to four counts of indecent exposure and was registered as a sex offender. Oh, dear. Not particularly great. And in 2007, was sentenced to four years in prison for violating probation from a similar offense earlier that year. Not great. And he was he was in that fight with Latrell as well, of course. He was, yep. yeah. He was. So, yeah, look, he was a handy player, but unfortunately just, uh, yeah, didn't didn't go so well off the off the court. Oh, I see another name there, Stewie. Is that, what, a crooner was drafted, was he? Yeah. Uh, so, Tony, mate. Tony Bennett. <laughs> yeah, pick 35, Tony Bennett. Holds the record for the highest NCAA three-point field goal percentage at 49.7. Wow. Very impressive. Had a very successful coaching career at Virginia for a long time now. Do you know that, or do you remember that he actually came across to play for the Sydney Kings in 1996? Can't say that I do, but 96 were in year eight, so the memory starts to fail a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he was rehabbing an ankle injury and came across. Unfortunately, the the deal did fall through. Would have been a really good coup if they could have got him uh, on the court, but probably explains why I don't remember him then. Yeah. If he never played a game, yeah. Now, Popeye Jones. Ah, uh, yes. Boy, oh boy, do I have a cool stat for you. Also had one of the great plays, tipping it in off a jump ball. Yes, scoring yes. off a jump ball. Yep. Yeah, remember if that actually counted. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I don't I think they changed the rule after that. Maybe I don't know. Because because what's interesting? So we've talked about it before, but I had my NBA top ten plays of the <laughs> week video where I'd hit pause, record, and hit pause, and and so I literally had like an hour plus of just back to back top ten plays, and a lot of these players feature heavily. Like Spree was in it a hell of a lot. He had so many good highlights. But yeah, that, that Popeye Jones highlight sticks out to me too. Would you say back, Zanta back? Ah, very good, yes. Yeah. So, all right, Popeye Jones. March the 10th, 1994, in a game against the Lakers, Popeye Jones had one of the more unusual stat lines you'll ever see. And funnily enough, one of the more unbreakable league records. Oh, go on. He had 10 points and 12 rebounds for the game. All 12 of those rebounds were offensive, though. I vaguely remember this now that you mention it. So the record for the most offensive rebounds in a game without a single defensive rebound. Great stuff. Isn't that nuts? That is nuts. Zlatan Divac actually had a 22, 17, and 12 in that game as well. One of his eight career triple doubles. Very good passing, Big. Mm. Yeah. But Popeye was handy, wasn't he? Yeah, he cleaned the boards. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Now, Matt Geiger. A lot of people will probably remember him running around as backup centre on those Philly teams, especially the one that made that finals. He was handy. But if it weren't for Matt Geiger the landscape of the entire Eastern Conference would have changed dramatically. 
So in 2000, a trade was on the table and it was a big one. Eddie Jones, Glenn Rice, Jerome Williams and Dale Ellis to Philly. Alan Iverson and Matt Geiger to Detroit. Jerry Stackhouse, Christian Leitner and Travis Knight to Charlotte. And Anthony Mason, Tony Kukoc and Todd Fuller to the LA Lakers. Bloody hell. Geiger did not like the look of Detroit and refused to waive his no-trade clause, and the deal fell through. Fancy Geiger being the one to... I know, out of all of those players... Philly wins that trade. Glenn Rice and Eddie Jones. Bloody hell. Well, but then if you look... I mean, Rice was towards the end, but Eddie Jones was peak at that point. But then if you look at it, the very next year, Philly makes the finals. Yeah, it's true. So, and Glenn Rice is playing against them for the Lakers. Yep. Yeah. he so, was. People forget, he, had a, he was really important on that Lakers team. He was. Yeah. But then you think about the ripple effect then to Detroit. They don't get Chauncey Billups, which means that they probably don't ah, yeah. they probably don't go anywhere near making the finals. Yeah. And the entire two thousands Eastern Conference probably completely different. There you go. So there you go. Yeah, I like it. And one last quick one. Pick fifty three, Curtis Blair. Never played a game, but is an NBA official. Ah, there you go. There you go. Now, we do have four players that have passed away. I'm going to go in reverse order, though, because I do want to finish with one particular player. So, firstly, rest in peace to the undrafted Eric Anderson. Played 27 games with the Knicks across two seasons after going undrafted. Bit of a victory cigar sort of player, but unfortunately passed away at age 48 of natural causes. Can't say I remember him, to be honest. I don't know the guy either, but yeah, still sad. Pick 44, Henry Williams. Never played a game in the league, but passed away at the age of 47 in 2018 of kidney disease. Again. Rest know, in peace, don't, yeah. Don't know the guy. Kidney theme. With Zoe as well, when you think about it from this draft. Yeah, true. Yeah. True, true. Pick 30, Sean Rooks. Decent big. Yep. Yeah, I remember him on those Timberwolves teams particularly. Yep, solid backup for 12 seasons. I actually remember him more for the Lakers, but again. Yeah, he played with the Clippers too, didn't he, from memory? I think he did, yeah. yeah. Yep. So he passed away in 2016 of heart disease, aged 46. So yeah, look, he was he was a guy, his first three seasons, he was basically an 11 and 6 guy. Oh, yeah, he was handy. So yeah. very, very handy. Yep. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I forgot that he'd passed away. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so did I. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, this one I do remember. Yep. Very sad. Pick 14, Malik Seely. Yeah. So what do you remember of him? Oh, very handy shooting guard. Good kind of chemistry guy. Just a really handy piece on that Minnesota. I keep coming back to it, but a really handy piece on that Minnesota Timberwolves team. Yep, absolutely. And also a very handy role player with the Clippers as well. He was between 11 and a half and 13 and a half points a game for three years. But yeah, just this is a real horrible one, unfortunately. Seven years into his career, he's right towards his prime. He really was. He he was playing for probably the best contract of his career at that point. It would have been, yeah. yeah. And so he's driving home from a birthday celebration for Kevin Garnett. A drunk driver in a pickup truck hit him driving the wrong way up the highway. Neither guy was wearing their seatbelt. It still amazes me that people can drive without their seatbelts. Yeah, I know. Why, why is it, it such an impost? It feels so, um, so alien. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It really does. Yeah. Unfortunately for Sealy, his truck didn't have an airbag and he died at the scene. Mm. So, yeah, just a, a really tough one. I remember distinctly Kevin Garnett's reaction. I just, I remember him. Well, they were him, best mates, weren't they? Just, yeah, just bawling his eyes out. Yeah. You know, wearing tributes to Malik all throughout the season. And, yeah, I mean, he, he would have made a big difference to that team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, yeah, just a shame. No, it is sad. And it's kind of sad to end on that note. But that's, you know, we're talking about life, aren't we? And yeah. the 1992 draft. 30 years ago. It is a long time ago now. So these blokes are getting older, as we all are. All right, Stewie, we've literally come to the end of the episode. Ha. Final thoughts time. 
Look, a really, really fun draft to re-look at. I mean, obviously, yeah, Shaq and Zoe at the top, two of the absolute best big men that we've seen in our lifetime. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, really difficult one to play so many players. You could have made any different order up of probably seven or eight different guys there. And we're getting a theme. I've found that in every episode now. <laughs> if I did it tomorrow, I'd probably have different thoughts and, yeah. But that's what makes it fun. It really is. It really is. And, oh, really deep, great fun. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.